Sam Clements and welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. This is a podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime and is entirely curated by guests on this podcast. Now today we're joined by not one but two special guests and film festival curators Dave and Kathy from the Cinemile. Hi guys. Hello. Hello. Uh, thank you for uh, for dialing in. This is our first 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest down the wire. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, thanks for having us. You're very exciting because basically we all live in London and can't get to each other. Yeah, it makes it sound so exotic, like we're really far away. Yeah. Like it's a, like some sort of Eurovision phone-in, but no, it's <laughs> just the, the, tra- the trains didn't time up. It's that classic thing. People live very close to each other, but, you know, busy London lives. It's hard to, it's hard to be in the same room at the same time. Well, it's difficult, the life of a, of a film festival programmer. You know, <laughs> people, don't, people don't know the, what goes on behind the scenes. I have so many fe- film festivals to program. You guys are normally pounding the pavements on the way to or from a cinema when you record the cinema. Pounding the yes. pavements, I like that. So the cinema tends to be recorded on our walk to and from the cinema, but sometimes we're on a bus or on a train. Uh, very rarely are we actually sitting still. So this is weird for us. We're actually looking at each other. Usually we're looking at the street ahead of us. <laughs> Never actually looked at you before. No, it's funny. And I guess usually with the cinema, you'll be covering new releases, whereas this podcast is only really interested in films with a 90 minute or less runtime, new or old. It's a real treat for us. It's a real treat. Like we tend to, um, one of the main things I actually look up when we're going to the cinema is genuinely the duration, because some movies just, because we've got a baby, when we factor in getting to and from the cinema, the length of the movie, it's like quite stressful if something's too long. Like the first movie we went to after he was born was Blade Runner and I just could barely contain myself in the cinema. I was like, this is so long, this movie needs to end. As much as I enjoyed it, it was too stressful. That's bold. Wow. Yeah, it was silly. It was really silly. Can we admit that no, mo- no movie needs to be past 90 minutes? Well, very few do. Like Depends the, on the genre. The average runtime in Hollywood's gotten to the point of where it's two hours 15 is kind of about average now, and that's way too long, particularly for a comedy. Well, this is why Sam's doing this podcast. Yeah, so thanks, Sam. I mean, you guys are just, you know, like, buttering me up and, <laughs> and really playing to my ego. This is wonderful. And it's not like people are coming out of uh, movies nowadays feeling like they've gotten more money worth because they got, had an extra 45 minutes. Normally it's the opposite. I feel like I could have lost that 45 minutes, would have felt more satisfied. So when so when I asked you guys if you'd like to program a film in the festival, what went through your mind? How did you tackle this task? Just Googled it. Firstly, Googled movies that are under 90 minutes. Um, and then we went through what Google told us was under 90 minutes um, in our fantastic research. And then we decided on Toy Story for a couple of reasons. One being, as we mentioned, we have a relatively new child and we've been getting really excited about when he's old enough to watch movies. And therefore we are kind of getting back into kids' movies again and and trying to watch rewatch and see what we think would be like a positive experience with him. So that was one of them. And then the other one is, I guess, the influence Pixar's had since this movie came out. So in terms of the history of animation, it's a really important movie in that sense as well. So in terms of programming a festival, it's a very good place to start if you're going to be looking at, um, you know, modern animated movies of the last 25 years. 
when I was doing some research about this film, which is from 1995, there's quite a lot of uh, people posting about, you know, they were maybe born when this film was out and now they have their own families uh, for the fourth one, which is due out next year. My God. I know, it's weird, isn't it? Even watching it, when we first started watching it, we were like, this does not look 25 years old. It really doesn't. Terrain seems a bit unstable. No readout yet if the air is breathable. And there seems to be no sign of intelligent life anywhere. Hello? Oh, yeah! Ah! Whoa! Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Did I frighten you? Didn't mean to. Sorry. Howdy. My name is Woody, and this is Andy's room. Let's go into Toy Story. Let's talk about the pros and cons of screening this film. Very well-known Pixar Animation Studios film. It's the film where toys come to life when their owner, Andy, leaves the room follows a pull string cowboy called Woody, voiced by Tom Hanks, who's Andy's favourite toy, that is, until Buzz Lightyear appears on the scene, a gift at Andy's birthday party. Buzz Lightyear is voiced by Tim Allen. Uh, the two have an ongoing feud, but are forced to team up when they find themselves stranded in the real world. Through their attempts to return to Andy's room, they forge a unique friendship. Directed by John Lassenter, founder, one of the founders of Pixar Studios, and originally released in 1995. So we've mentioned this a little bit, but... Why Toy Story? Does Toy Story hold a special place in both your hearts? I don't know. I, I've been mean, meaning to rewatch this for quite a while. Like, I mean, like Kathy said, um, we're excited about showing movies to our son Oscar for the first time. And this is definitely up there in, uh, in the list of, um, you know, first movies I'd like to show him. Um, funnily enough, personally, for me, it's not, it's not one of my all-time favorites um and i haven't watched it in a long time but it's certainly it's a landmark movie a pixar are easily my favorite animation studio so this felt like the one that you'd pick for a film festival rather than my favorite you know i had to set aside my own personal whims uh when i was picking up this job of festival programmer and i thought about the, the greater good in the public and i think this this is the one that deserves to be shown that's a very professional answer, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I'm treating this like a job interview. So. Um, so do you remember um, first watching this film when it was released? I do. I was about uh, 10 years old. Um, I remember I remember enjoying it. I liked it. Um, definitely got on board with it, lined up for all the sequels. Um, well, you would have been older than 10. You've done the maths wrong. 11? What was I? Well, it probably came out in Ireland a year later, so you would have probably been about 12. We weren't. They're not that far behind the they rest were, of the Ireland world. Ireland was really behind with what? cinematic releases. Don't you remember? When we were kids. <laughs> it really was. Oh, that's right. It actually came out in 2008 <laughs> in Ireland. No. I, I just, uh... Uh, no, but I actually never even saw it in the cinema. Um, and I I feel like I might have seen the newer ones before I saw the, the first one. It didn't appeal to me at all of whatever age I was, like 10 or 11 year old girl. I remember having no, I literally had no interest in seeing it. It was very much marketed at boys. And um, yeah, so I've only watched it more as an adult. So you don't often get that same resonance with the movie than I think if you watch it as an adult. And I'll get to it now, but as we speak about the movie, but the more I watched of it last night, the less I liked it anyway. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. This is good. This is yeah, good. It's a nice, juicy choice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it's... um. I, I remember at the time, uh, I was probably about eight or nine years old, but I remember just like my mind being blown because it was made on computers and not really understanding how like that happened and and it was 
I guess that's quite a unique experience. And I, I don't know if filmgoers will ever get that experience again of a completely new form coming in and how different it was to anything else on offer. Like I grew up with Disney films and I just couldn't get my head around that this was made in computers. And I don't think my dad could either. I went with my dad and it was kind of a nice bonding experience for both of us just on the way out. Like, but, but Mega Drive doesn't look that good. How, yeah. how does this look? Like computers don't look as good as what's on the screen. What computer have they got? You know, and, yeah. and I, I sort of love that experience, that bubble. Well, what's more baffling is that this is the same year that Windows 95 came out, which means that they built this on computers that didn't even have Windows 95. They were that, that shit. Although they would have been probably be done uh, with Macs, right? Because Steve Jobs uh, famously bought or backed Pixar and was an executive producer on this, I believe. So, yeah, he was one of the company founders, sort of a, a silent lead figure, but he's got a credit on the film and, and quite a few of the early Pixar films. So they probably had Steve's special iPad to make it. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. But it is funny now <laughs> watching it, um, and we'll speak to it again, but just comparing the animation in that movie to a movie now, obviously it, it's come along leaps and bounds, but I wouldn't say it's come along in 25 years worth. You know, to your point, the technology is better, but it's still the same technology, interestingly. I disagree. I think the technology is just like unrecognizably different now to really? what it is then. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's still recognizably 3D, but what they can do... Nowadays, with texture and photorealism, it's 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 like virtually it's a million miles away from the the textures and it the, is. But doesn't the excitement of... Sam said now? It's like yeah, we know they're all made of computers. That's true. Done. It's lost the it's lost the novelty. But, but I mean, the I dog think... is genuinely something from a horror movie, though. The animation of that dog is terrible. The dog doesn't look good. The people don't look good. The uh, Sid and Andy basically have the same. They're face. monsters. Uh, yeah, monstrous uh, demon, uh, <laughs> thousand yard stare. The the humans are terrifying in this. The toys stand stand up. The animation on the toys is still good because it's plastic and they they're only supposed to look um, like limited three D objects anyway. But yeah, it's a, it's an interesting it's interesting to look at this as the dawn of an art form because if you compare it it hasn't aged as well as traditional 2d animation if you look at snow white as the first full-length uh 2d animated feature um that that really holds up i think that's it's just got a beautiful lovely hand-drawn quality to it i think the film is is made with good intentions though like they've made toys because they know they can do plastic they can do the light reflecting on plastic that's all all good and i remember as a kid i remember thinking oh yeah well that's why they don't show any human faces they just show their feet but they show their faces a lot <laughs> and they have lines the kids have yeah, lines maybe they were really excited to show these zombie children but I feel like maybe maybe they should have like just just not shown you that you know just just allude to adults and kids but don't have them having yeah, the lines. <laughs> yeah, because I went and read an old review from the New York Times from 1995 of it, and interestingly, that journalist said he thought he couldn't believe how realistic the kids look. So I think of its time, they would have been really proud of it. And it's funny because it reminded me of years ago, Dave. Funny you just mentioned Snow White because we had the DVD of it and we were watching the special features and. They were saying that it was so difficult for them to draw a man because a man had never really been drawn like that before. And that's why in Snow White, you only see the huntsman and the prince like maybe three times in the whole movie. 
it's all Snow White and the Dwarfs because the extra effort of animating a man was just like too much work for them. And it's like that with this, you every now and then you'll see the kids or you'll see Andy's mom, but we noticed his dad was never in it either. So they really limited the humans. I think you've had enough tea for today. Let's get you out of here, bud. Don't you get it? You see the hat? I am Mrs. Nesbitt. <laughs> Snap out of it, Buzz! I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, you're right. I am just a little depressed. That's all. I think the the real star of the show for me was the screenplay. What, what did you guys think of the story and and how it tells this this tale in its quite tight runtime? I think tight's the right word. That's what I was going to use. It's such a, um, it's a it's a brilliant screenplay. It's very. Uh, concise it knows exactly what it is it's a buddy it's a buddy story it's uh, it's almost it's also a road movie funnily enough for a movie that's largely set between uh well two houses that are right next to each other it's 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 like planes trains and automobiles or any good buddy road movie you it's got the all the great ingredients two characters chalk and cheese eventually coming to learn each other and learning about themselves for me I think on a character level, Woody is watching it back now. Woody's very hard to like, uh, and I think deliberately so. They write they write him in a very ugly light, and I think an original drafts of this had him as the villain, um, and I think elements of that remain. And certainly, he's treated as a villain by all his peers for the pretty much the majority of the movie. Like they hate him, like Mister Potato Head hates Woody. But that's because Woody, if you're in, in the pecking order of the playroom, you're the top dog if you're the, the kid's favourite toy. And Woody's obviously been the favourite for years. So Woody's just basically throwing it about and being a complete arsehole about it. And they've all put up with it because he has been the number one. But now that he's number two, they don't have to put up with it anymore. I think you're reading into things a bit much. I think at the very beginning when when Woody's giving the, the general meeting and he's chairing it, it all seems pretty amicable. But they're probably all rolling their eyes while he was back. No, I think they only start hating him when they believe that he tried to murder that's really where it all went wrong so Kathy you said you were losing patience when you were re-watching the film yes yeah, so it's a really funny thing because I mean as I said I've if I've seen this movie before it's it's maybe once and it was after seeing the other ones and also I'm really conscious having a son I'm really conscious of the male bias that runs throughout all media and I'm I really find it very distasteful and I mean, the first thing that pops up in this movie now is John Lasseter, who we know is embroiled in the Me Too scandal. Um, then quickly, I'm seeing that all the, you know, everyone's male involved in the production of this movie took ages for a woman's name to pop up in the credits. And then and then very quickly into the movie, possibly the, one of the opening scenes, we meet Bo Peep, who's the only female character of mm. the toys. And she's just like a romantic sexual object for Woody. That's all she is. She says something along the lines of, oh, I'll get someone else to mind the sheep, basically, so we can snog. And that's pretty much her jam for the movie. Um, as we mentioned, we've got Andy's mom in the background. And then there's a, a girl, a little girl who lives across the road. And I think Andy's sibling may be a girl, but she's a baby, so she doesn't say anything. Um, and I was just really troubled the more I watched it. And then I was also thinking, oh, do you know what? All of these characters are white as well. So it's a movie made by white men. Um, all the characters are white men. The 
the female characters, you know, the Gina Davis Institute is really interesting statistics on like female voices in movies and particular in mm. kids movies. And I don't have access to her database because I'm not a member, but I found the information on Toy Story 3, which as we were watching it last night, I did think, well, Toy Story 3 has definitely got more female characters than this. But turns out in Toy Story 3, there's only one female to every three males. Now in this movie, so that's the 33%, no, that would be like, what, 25% women. In this movie, I would say it's like, if you were to do a percentage, what, maybe two, three percent? If you include all the background at, characters. You're looking at me like I'm supposed to count. No, honestly, I was really it. like, I'm really shocked watching it now. And and then the only characters that are there are a background mother, a little sister who plays with dolls, and Bo Peep, who's like a, a fancy thing for I mean, for it's, cer- it's certainly a product of 1995. So, but also the team that wrote it. So actually now... Now I don't think it's a movie I want to show Oscar. I really don't. Um, I had a lot of issues with it, and and as much and I agree with everything Dave said in that. I think it's a really tight script. I think it's what what's cool about it for for its time was that it the, the humor was actually funny, the scary scenes were actually scary, and the action scenes were genuinely thrilling. And that's a big deal for a kids animation to manage to do all those things. And it was also interesting to have the protagonists be essentially adults. Um, which is very unusual in a kids movie because they're usually like kind of tweens or kids. So I admire all of that, but but actually the fact that we are raising a little boy who is white, I certainly don't want him watching a movie where all he's seeing back at him is white men. Funnily enough, even though we've recommended this for the film festival, I think it should be for adults only <laughs> to watch it in historical context. Adults only, like 18 yeah, plus. Yeah, adults only, yeah. It's an 18 plus yeah. viewing of Toy Story. No kids allowed. No kids that's allowed. That's quite a unique take on a Toy Story screening. And uh, and I think the festival will roll with that. I think that's a good, uh, that's a, that's a good angle. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it, it's interesting when you reappraise things from your childhood or, or things that, you know, were made when we were kids. And, you know, at the time you're just like, oh, it's so good. This world, it's computers. I've never seen anything like this before. But you're absolutely right. Sometimes when you take a closer look at it, um, some of the sheen can come off. I know, and these are things I wouldn't have noticed myself, like even 10 years ago, I genuinely wouldn't have noticed it. So I certainly wouldn't have noticed it in the 90s. Can I say, though, I think there's there's a, there's a distinction between a sort of um, a sinister bias and an underlying sort of societal bias. And I think the, the latter is no, the but case all in Toy Story. Most bias is unconscious. And yes, that's and what I, seeps into like the psyche. And I think it's also, I, and I'm not denying that it's harmful. Um, however, I think the... Does that the art in itself shouldn't suffer based on based on that? That's we that's would just have to be very careful. Point out. If we're curating a film a film program for Oscar, we'll have to be very careful that this sits alongside something like Moana. I totally agree. So we can't uh, show him Toy Story followed by cars. <laughs> <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? But that, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, what I'm getting at is I don't like the idea of omitting something. No, it just from has to be context. Yeah, it's it's all contextual. Yeah, but you can explain these things to. Can you? To, no, you can't explain it to yeah, a four-year-old. He's, he's just embracing what he's watching. No, you're like he's Oscar. one. By the way, no, he's not four. But. When he's four, we'll make him count the. We'll have a stopwatch, and he can count the amount of dialogue that every female has. And then, uh, and then, any time a woman's not talking, he should feel deep reprehensible guilt for his uh, for, for his, his maleness. For his maleness. Well, interestingly, because I my bit of research I was doing on the. Um, the Gina Davis animation stuff. So in 2010, they did a study which um, at the time covered 122 titles, Toy Story included. And overall, they said um, 17% of, of characters in kids' movies on average were female. This movie would, would fall way short of that. Wow. Yeah. 
I think um, I think it's it's also something which Pixar has a problem with in general. You know, the company's been in existence now for almost thirty years, if you include the shorts they originally made, and they've only recently had a film that's been directed by a, a female director. Yes, and it, and was, it was a, a short, short film, film attached right? to a film yeah. directed by a man. Uh, so yeah, exactly, and it was great. I loved. I really loved good. that short. But again, it was like, wow, he's taking you this long, and then wasn't. Was Coco their first movie about a character who wasn't just white? Yep. So they're very slow. And it's interesting looking at the culture now in Pixar. In their day, they were so innovative. And now they are just a load of old, rich white men. It is funny that they've fallen behind Disney Animation Studios, which at the time was flagging. But Disney Animation Studios have had Frozen, which is co-directed by a woman, two female protagonists, Moana, as you mentioned. Uh, So it's interesting how they're sort of they're sort of up neck and neck and actually Disney maybe has taken the lead in in some elements of the cultural conversation. Yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? It's a funny one. Um, and and I think, I mean, I'm such a Moana fan. Oh my God, it's like my favourite, probably my favourite kids animation ever. And it does have the element that this movie doesn't have and they did it on purpose, which is not to be a musical, which, which was an interesting departure for t- Pixar. But I love a musical. So I think Dave preferred it to, to me. You enjoyed the fact that it wasn't a musical, didn't you? Where I would have liked... Woody to do in a song and dance. <laughs> I think, okay, so interestingly, Disney wanted this to be a musical because, you know, Disney mm. make musicals. Uh, so they thought Toy Story should have been a musical. But Lasseter resisted from throughout. And I found a good quote from Joss Whedon, um, uh, who wrote this or mm. co-wrote it. Um, and he said that it's a because it's a buddy... Um, comedy with two characters who are at odds with each other it can't be a musical because musicals are all about people expressing their feelings and buddy comedies are all about people who can't even admit their true feelings to themselves so i thought that was an interesting point it's an interesting it's quite a grown-up genre trope to put into a family film well this is a very grown-up film isn't it in many ways it's very it's very adult um in its in its themes and it's... That's why it's 18s in our festival. <laughs> it's a horror movie. Like those scenes in the bedroom when the toys are being tortured were terrifying. It's scary. But yeah. I think every good kid's film should be scary. It should have a little bit of scares. I well, I'm sorry, but Moana is a buddy movie and they have amazing songs. Like you're welcome. That's true. It's all true. But maybe the, the mid-grounds they met was appointing Randy Newman as the composer because unusual for... Of Pixar film these days, but he they have actual songs, originally commissioned songs, uh, to bridge the gap and to explain what's going on. Yeah, and uh, interestingly, watching it back because we all remember "You've Got a Friend in yeah, Me," yeah, which is such a beautiful, superb song. song. Uh, but they, I think he did three songs for this, and the other two are, are not aren't really great. No, there was one where and Buzz has his existential crisis, which is like quite a sad moment, and then this weird song came on where he like basically was trying to fly and couldn't, and we were both going, "Oh, this is really jarring." But it was, I think it was. Uh, you said it there, Sam. It was put in as a sort of a compromise to Disney, where the songs were are intentionally supposed to express the emotions that the characters are feeling at the time, because that's what a musical does. Um, so, but what you get is in a scene like that, which for me is my favorite scene in the whole movie, where where Buzz realizes he's a toy, and then he's staring up at that window, and he's you know suddenly realizing just how small he is and how far away that window is and that he can't fly but then he tries to fly anyway because that's that's what's so good about Buzz Lightyear is that like 
insatiable optimism and then he fails and it's just so sad and that and that beautiful shot that shot panning up from him lying on the ground with his arm falling off it's it's absolutely outstanding stuff but throughout all of that you've got randy newman basically <laughs> saying i wish i could fly or whatever it is i know it they should what at least have had bet midler singing week week. <laughs> that would have elevated the scene so much maybe we can bring bet to the film festival okay we can we can correct some of this stuff <laughs> with the screening you could do it live live orchestral we'll do our own musical yeah. an adults only r-rated <laughs> Um, <laughs> musical version of Toy Story. It would be amazing. It's going to be a hot ticket. Uh, we will charge by the minute. <laughs> and it would just be us there. <laughs> oh, I, think that's, I think that's fine. Um, but you're right. I think there, there, are, there are these huge, uh, huge emotional scenes throughout the film, which I don't think I got so much as a kid, but I definitely got them now. And the other thing I didn't really get so much as a kid was how funny some of the jokes are. Like... I was belly laughing at the most simplest, inane jokes. Like there's a um, there's a workout montage, and all the toys are lifting up dumbbells, and the troll toy has no <laughs> yeah. like movable limbs, so the troll toy couldn't lift it up. Like that <laughs> killed me when I rewatched. So cute. <laughs> yeah, the visual gags, like Dave didn't even spot a couple last night. I had to rewind him, like when um when Woody's carrying on about something and Mr. Potato Head takes his own lips off and sticks them to his bum, like as in to say, kiss ass, but they don't say that because it's a kid's movie. And it's so subtle and it's just purely for the adults and it's just so sweet. And in another moment, does he like, he's arranging himself into like a Picasso. Like there's all this funny stuff going on with Mr. Potato Head that that you you would probably not notice unless you were at home with the recorder and you could rewind it. Like in the cinema would would probably go unnoticed. It's it's why why this movie is so fully formed for a for a, a first feature length movie from a studio and a director and it's why Pixar are the sort of powerhouse they are today is because of that attention to detail like every single frame of this movie and any Pixar movie is just teeming with like life and creativity and thoughtfulness like they they're a very they're a mad creative bunch and it's ve- they're very very I think fun. it's a good way for them to set up what they're all about like I think a lot of the the good things in this film are carried over into future Pixar films, like the attention to detail with the story, the attention to detail with the sight gags, um, and and building up these these characters and being able to do comedy and emotional stuff. And it feels like this is the blueprint for the next twenty five years of of what they do. Yeah, they really had a vision, and um, I read an interesting piece that the BBC had done a couple of years ago on their website, where they were talking about this it being a new thing, really, for kids' movies to have those adults as central characters and and seeing things from the adult's point of view because for a long time adults would just be you know like Bambi's mom or Simba's dad or whatever because like the Lion King if you think about it was out only the year before this is all like a child's quest and and then they were kind of positing which I think is a really good um, position on what they were talking about Pixar movies do for example uh, Finding Nemo so much of it is from the dad's perspective even the newer movies like up the old man was a huge character like inside out the the, grow, the people inside her head were mm. actually grown-ups and it is really interesting it's like when, when you do compare that to a traditional disney movie that is actually a real point of difference as well and they did mm. set that up because the toys are we were saying last night essentially like 
his parents almost like they're trying to look after Andy and do right by him and like not upset him and and curry favor with him like almost like a parent who doesn't want to piss off their kid because you don't want to have a bad day when your kid's throwing a temper tantrum so you you know parents naturally placate their kids as probably bad as that is to do and the toys would have done anything to keep Andy happy and to keep in his favor and I just love like it's terrible but like the scenes when when Woody first comes along and Andy just like throws him on the floor it's heartbreaking like our Oscar does that to us all the time like as soon as anything more interesting than us comes into the room he physically pushes us out of the way to crawl past us <laughs> and I just thought like it's so obviously written by parents I think they didn't realise um, nobody would have realised how just how big this was going to be though I think it took them all Absolutely, by surprise well I was reading it cost them 30 million dollars to make and in the opening weekend they made a hundred, they made 35 million dollars wow. so that was and just it went on weekend. to be the highest grossing film of the year it was released the highest grossing film in 95 it beat um, some of the, all the big Oscar films, Apollo thirteen. It's uh, it's uh, it was wow. a huge success that year. We had Heat, Seven, Clueless, uh, Jumanji, uh, Braveheart, Pocahontas, Goldeneye, wow. and this was the highest grossing film of the year. Yeah, putting that into context, like a beat yeah. a Bond movie. That's huge. Yeah, wow, and a beat Clueless, the best movie <laughs> of all time. Uh, <laughs> Was that not under Sadly, 90 minutes? Though? I don't know. I don't think so. I think the only film it beat that year that would be eligible for this festival is Pocahontas in terms of the in the films in like the top 10 highest grossing <laughs> films. Uh, so Disney are still keeping their runtimes tight, but didn't make as much money as the uh, the new guys. And Pocahontas is one, as an aside, I rewatched relatively recently and it's terrible. It's unwatchable. It's so bad. I think it's got one good song and, uh, and, that's, and that's it. <laughs> it does. <laughs> and, well, actually, yeah. speaking of... Paint of songs so randy newman was nominated for an oscar for you've got a friend in me but he lost to the color of the wind from pocahontas oh wow oh. i mean like it's a good song to be fair but it, like it's no you've got a friend in me well now that i say that out loud it is the only good scene in the pocahontas movie and it is a beautiful song um, Why so don't I guess you it's a matter of taste. No, right I mean I'm dying to sing it, but I won't. Come on, I know <laughs> no, you want. No, Save that for the line for the screening. <laughs> I'll save that for the screening. I'll sing. Okay, I'm gonna sing "Colors of the Wind" to the moment when Buzz Lightyear jumps out. Forget about Bette Midler. So hang on, Bette Midler's flying all the way over <laughs> for this film festival, and you're going to sing. I think "Colors of the Wind" is more apt now that I think about it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so wait, we're gonna. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so you're gonna sing so at the moment where randy newman's song comes on you're gonna sing the song that beat him to yeah. the oscar okay right seeing this on a big screen with a packed audience i think it would still be a lot of fun and 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 i think that's oh, yeah. the, the sort of the gold standard to aim for it is a, it's a really fun movie despite the, the fact that we've <laughs> spent 25 minutes talking about uh feminism in the me too movement i mean you didn't expect this with your with your toy story podcast no but it would it completely holds up and because we watched it together last night we were like genuinely laughing together and enjoying it it didn't what it didn't have for me that the newer Pixar movies do is that real emotional point at the end, like Toy Story 3, where you could mm. cry out of it as well, which I always enjoy. So it didn't quite have the emotional punch, but I think they just weren't there yet with what they were doing with the characters. Like the closest moment they came to it was that real horrific moment, really, when Buzz Lightyear's watching some sort of like nightmarish dystopian um, video about the packaging of his life that he's seeing in this ad. And, and that should have been sad. And as we said, that didn't quite work. And there was a funny song to it. But but oh, there's it, no song there. No, uh, sorry. After that, after there was that, that yeah, funny yeah. song. But 
But I think sitting in an audience, albeit you'd miss out on this crying scenes, you'd get a great laugh. And, you know, laughter is so contagious at a screening that, like, a bit that you may not laugh at at home, there would be genuine um, mirth in the audience. And I think, see, I'd love to see the animation on a big screen because we just watched it on our TV last night and it would be amazing to see how it holds up in a big projection. Yeah, it's certainly not... um... It's not. It's definitely not Pixar's best movie. I don't think it's not my favorite, um, and it doesn't have. Um, I mean, in many ways, it's it's quite simplistic. It doesn't have uh, a lot to say. It is really just a story about these two characters uh, to the point where I was like trying to uh, last night trying to fill in some deeper meaning of of Toy Story or themes or what it could all be an analogy for, and the best I, the best I could come up with is that. It, it could be, you could view Toy Story as a um, a treatise on the dangers of populism, which is a very, I think, very, um, very appropriate to today's audience. So, so maybe I could give an hour long lecture at the beginning of the movie before we go into this about how the, at the beginning uh, of Toy Story, when we see Andy, uh, or sorry, when we see Woody addressing the toys, that's democracy in action, I think. And, you know, everything is working fine. It's the status quo. And everything's great until this shiny new figure shows up at the top of the bed promising change. And he's quite naive and he's um, he's got sort of a childlike view of the world. But that optimism sort of inspires others to... to sorry, take, is this the start of your take, one hour? Take a cause. Yeah, this is settle in. We've got oh, right. 59 yeah, no, minutes no, to go. Um, but no, there's no deeper message to it. You're right. On, no, I think it. the only message really is that they're just trying to constantly please him and they can't because at the end of the day, shiny new things will always win out. Okay, so when we go into the screening, we've got a whole host of special events. Can we just go through the running order of what audiences can expect when they come to the cinema screening of Toy Story? Great. Yeah. Well, so, like so what have we got? First of all, we've got. So, who who introduces the film? If you could have anybody come to the screening to introduce the movie, who would you book? I would probably get someone who is an expert on the technology in the movie because I think that's like the biggest, most exciting bit of the movie is the technology. So, someone very briefly to talk through that, maybe. What, Dave? What do you think? Yeah. 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 Or Randy Newman. I mean, yeah, Randy Newman would be the best. Oh, yeah. I mean, if we can have anyone, we'd have Randy Newman on the piano and Bette Midler singing. Or Tom Absolutely. Hanks. I mean, at the moment, there's the, the budgets haven't been set for festival, so it's Blue Sky thinking, let's go for the big guns. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've Randy Newman on the piano, Bette Midler sitting on top of the piano singing, and Tom <laughs> Hanks is in the corner singing as well. Yeah. Yeah? No Tim Allen, though. Uh, yeah, Tim Allen can come too. He can come, but we won't yeah, no, Tim Allen can come, but that's totally on him. <laughs> Yeah, that's on him. We'll get him a budget air. We'll fly him Ryanair over for the, um, <laughs> the screening. Or do you know what we could do, which would be interesting? If we you you bring the um, the alternative voice cast, um, so to, because some of that is very interesting. You know, Jim Carrey was the the first choice to play Buzz Lightyear, but he was uh, he they couldn't he was afford too busy, him. Busy like doing apparently. the mask or something. Well, no, he was like think that his he was a huge star in nineteen ninety five, so they couldn't afford him and Tom Hanks because they, and Tom Hanks. It already booked in. Um, so so be- you're saying we should bring Jim Carrey in to introduce Toy Story? No, not in to introduce it. We get him to redub the whole movie uh, <laughs> with his performance so we can finally see what that would have been like. So if they, if Pixar couldn't afford Jim Carrey, you think we can afford <laughs> Jim Carrey's stock has waned slightly. I feel like he's probably a bit more achievable now. And yeah, so maybe it's a live yeah, sure. dub. Maybe that's the angle on the screening. <laughs> Uh, okay, well that that sounds like a hot ticket. 
yeah. And oh just finally, do you think this film should be or could be more than 77 minutes long? No. No. I actually thought the very last action scene where the, the toys are all chasing the truck back and forth, about the fifth time they fell out of the truck and rolled back again, I thought, oh, this scene could really do with being over now. And I know they were showing off the animation and they paced it really well. And just right at the end, I, I mean, I tend to get a little bit bored of long action scenes anyway, but I felt like that could have been a little bit shorter. Disagree. Okay. Yeah. So you think 77 exactly? I'd say trim it to 74. <laughs> you, want, you want your three minutes back. I want my three minutes back. You're, really, you're not actually paying my I've seen my life as a courgette. I know what an under 70 minute movie can be. <laughs> Uh, no, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's perfect. It's so concise. Yeah, bang on. You are a toy! You weren't the real Buzz Lightyear. You're, a, you're an action figure. You are a child's plaything. You are a sad, strange little man, and you have my pity. Farewell. There we go. Toy Story is in the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival. Thanks so much for choosing it, guys. Thank you for Thanks accepting for our us. submission. Which I've nearly talked myself out of. <laughs> well, I think we've got, not only is it a screening of Toy Story, but it's probably a day of events around the themes of the film. <laughs> Where can listeners find you, Dave and Kathy? Uh, we are at the Cinemile. Uh, if anyone doesn't know our podcast, it's where we uh, record our walks home from the movie. Uh, from the cinema, basically, from the movie, from all, from all the movies we go to, to the cinema. Yeah, so it does what it says in the tin, and um, so we're anywhere you listen to podcasts, and we're also on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the usual social places. At the cinema. At the cinema. And and I can I can wholeheartedly say it's a really excellent listen, and I, you were kind enough to invite me on an episode uh, last year, which was uh, which was a thrill and a joy. Yes, it was War for the Planet of the Apes. It was one was of the so Planet of the Apes movie, but are they all the names have blurred in. It's the one that I just said. The one that you said. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we had you and Simon, and we love having you guys as guests. I particularly enjoyed the fact that Simon agreed with me that Caesar was hot. Like <laughs> <laughs> being an ape. Okay, so there we have it. Toy Story, presented by the Cinemile in the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival. Thank you so much for listening. Please like, favourite, subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice, and you can contact us at 90 Min Film Fest on Twitter and Instagram. The show was produced by Louise Owen and me, Sam Clements, and music is by Martin Ostwick. The show is edited by Luke Smith, and our artwork is by Sam Gilby. Dave, Kathy, thank you so much for talking to us, and we'll see you at the festival for the big premiere. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>